Welcome to ICA Podcast 9. The goal of ICA Podcast 9 is to provide insightful information about the industry to members and non-members of Intercoiffure America Canada, the voice for salon owners. Each week we'll bring business, educational and inspirational topics to aid anyone with ties to the beauty industry. We will have a revolving series of hosts pulling from industry leaders as hosts and guests to keep things lively and interesting and make you wonder what's coming next. Now, here's this week's edition of ICA Podcast 9. I want to welcome everybody to Intercoffure America Canada podcast. Um, I'm Sheila Wilson, president of Intercoffure, and I am thrilled today to have this wonderful person who's not only a friend, but probably one of the best hair colorists uh, that I've ever seen in the industry, and also absolutely the best educator, uh, David Stanko. So David, welcome. Thank you, Sheila. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, you and I have quite a history together, and I, yep. I, hope, I hope we can interweave some of our fun and laughing and learnings over the years. Well, I hope so, because, you know, not only have you become just such a great friend, but I admire you so much for all the things that you do in the industry. But the one thing you've been so consistent from the first day I met you is your passion for hair color and also your passion and commitment to making sure that the education that you share and the way you work, that there's reason. It's not just, you know, well, I think I'm going to do this. You have a reason for everything that you do. I think that's one of the reasons you're such a great teacher, but it's all based on the scientific information and the reality of how hair color works. So first, I want you to tell everybody a little bit about your history, um, who you've worked with, who you've, where you've been, and uh, just your philosophy on hair color. Okay. What a lovely intro. Thank you, Sheila. You know, I love hair color. And I can only say that in certain groups, like with other hairdressers at the lobby bar at hair shows, you know, I sort of geek out on hair color and I try to temper that a little bit. And it's taken me a number of years to not constantly look at hair color when I'm on the street, at a cafe, in a restaurant, because I'm always sort of practicing hair color. I'm always thinking, what would I do to match her touch up? How would I apply highlights on this guy so that they look cool, like really good guy lights? So I'm always doing makeovers and in some cases make unders as I uh, <laughs> sort of cruise through airports and, and travel around the world. Um, I've been doing hair for 36 years and wow. it is just astounding to me that it's been that amount of time because I'm such a loyalist when it comes to uh, both a career and the brands that I've worked with. I live in Los Angeles right now, previous to that San Francisco, and previous to that a huge chunk of time in New York City. So I've worked um, with the L'Oreal Group, with Redken for 20 some years, and then I did a lot of behind the scenes work for some other brands. They would come to me um, after I was finished with the Redken piece, they would come and say, can you look at our hair color? Um, can we clean up our education? What do you think we need to do that's different or interesting or better? Um, I worked very briefly for a, a direct-to-consumer hair color brand. 
which was an interesting experience, but not really for me. And then uh, I moved to Los Angeles to work with Paul Mitchell. And so currently I'm the senior director of product evaluation. I have a whole department of six to 10 people and we do hair all day long and work with chemists all day long. So I really, really like what I do. Um, in terms of philosophy, you know, any hair color can be created once. It's a matter of duplicating that look for your clients. And there's a lot to unpack in that statement. What I mean by that is follow the rules. There are rules in hair color. Products are tested a specific way. And when you take them off road, for example, free pouring in your lightener, you're not guaranteed results that day or on subsequent visits. So that's sort of a little bit of my top line philosophy, respecting the product and respecting the principles of hair color. So uh, we go back, you're, you are correct, we go back a long way. We, uh, I think I first met you through Redken and then we became great friends through the International Hair, Col uh, hair Color Exchange days and even uh, set out on the quest with Charlotte and Andre and Thea Spearing to where we were going to create a certification for hair colors. Do you remember those days? <laughs> I do, indeed. You know what, Sheila, the IHE, for anyone who's listening that might not recall, was the International Hair Color Exchange. It was a forum in which dedicated professionals got together and you and your group created very interesting ways to integrate others. I remember we would be assigned a person and they never worked with our hair color. So we had to bring them up to speed. And it was really about sharing information, finding the commonalities in hair color, and then sort of the pros and cons. It was a fabulous program. Yeah, you know, I look around now and I see all of these educators and they, we actually met them through the hair color exchange, you know, where they came in because the whole concept of that, which I think is probably needed more than ever right now, is that to be a good colorist, you have to be able to understand how color works and, you know, be able to think without being brand induced and then choose the brand that you want to use because you prefer it, not because that's the only one that you know. So it really stimulates a lot of, um, you know, I think creativity because you can't teach creativity, but you can uh, teach fundamental information. And then from that creativity comes out. And I think that was the statement you said to me when I first met you is, you know, I said, oh, we got to teach people how to be creative. And you was going, you can't teach that. And I was going, well, who is this guy? <laughs> and uh, from that point, <laughs> uh, I just uh, became such a great fan. Uh, I want to say one thing about, tell everybody this, because I think this is so you. Uh, we, at the exchange, we I ask everybody that was uh, representing a company, we, we actually put an ad in the paper and brought people in off the streets instead of doing models and uh, everybody drew a number and that model had a number and then you had to color their hair. And I remember we were gonna be doing bleaching and you said, I'm not doing this. And I said, why not? And you said, because the fiber is horrible. It will melt it off the head. There is nothing on the market that's gonna be able to get that hair up and not 
and leave it on the head. And I said, then that's what you need to say to all the people as they walk around the room. And I just looked and there was about five minutes into your presentation about why you weren't going to do this. And I think you had everybody in the room standing around you listening to that. And I think I still know people who say that was probably the most aha moment in their coloring history. So I just wanted you to know how important your <laughs> um, commitment to truth and to the fiber of the hair and to the color. I mean, it just, it's like a big ripple that just keeps going on through all of these people as they share. So I always love that story about you because that is you. That is, that is when I think about you, I think about that story and about how honest you are. So let's talk about where you see color right now and, um, and the changes that have happened and maybe the improvements in color, if any. Um, so bring us up to date about how you feel about our industry hair color right now. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Let's see. Um, I think I would take that down two pathways. Um, the first is I would go back to about 2015 when we were doing lots of in salon education and big shows. That was a turning point when social media started to become extremely popular. And I remember that we were sort of reaching out to influencers that were garnering attention because of how fancy they were doing uh, work. And you know, as an educator, because it's in my DNA, my philosophy of education was always show what the product can do, not what I can do. And I think if we fast track, what we see today is a lot of talented people, personalities, on social, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, showing off what they can do. But what's missing for me sometimes is tell me what product you used. Explain to me why you selected it with that volume and timed it a specific way. And I would also love to see some of this beautiful work. I'd love to see these folks come back on and say, okay, here's Mary Smith two weeks later. Let's take a look at what happened with her hair look, it still has her gray covered, or it faded, or it didn't fade, and then bring her back prior to doing her touch-up the next time, and teach us how to analyze the canvas again, and determine if you're going to do the same thing, or if you have to make revisions to your formula and your application. So it's about respecting product choices. So that's a, a little mix mosh, but your, your question was pretty specific about technology and hair color. And you know, Sheila, we've been working with the same or similar technology for like 100 years. And in order to make hair color work, there are some, I would say four key principles. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're, doesn't matter who you're working with or if you're visiting your cousin in Nashville and she needs her color done and you end up at a grocery store because you have to do her hair color. There's four key things. Identifying the natural level, which is tricky in and of itself. If you, quite honestly, if you screw that up, everything else snowballs from there. So identifying natural level, identifying the target level and percentage of gray. Where are you? Where are you going? And how much gray do you have? and understanding what the hair contributes to you, which is the undertone at the target, 
And then you have a decision. Do I cancel, subdue, enhance that undertone? And now you have product choices. Can I do this with a semi-permanent or demi-permanent or permanent hair color? Or do I need to use a lightener to achieve my results? So those are the principles of color that regardless of who you work with and what brand you love, you have to master those. So, you know, there's a term that we hear quite often, and I want your uh, input on how you feel about it. I'll be talking to a colorist and they're going, well, you know, I, I broke the base and it looked beautiful, but I could never get it to have that same subtle look if I duplicated it. And it goes back to what you said at the beginning. It's great if you can color hair, but can you duplicate it? Can you do it over and over? So I know break the base is whatever that means. It's different to everybody else, but talk about that for a little bit from your perspective. You mean specifically about breaking the base? Yeah, how do you feel about it? Uh, the pros, the cons? Well, I, so I will say, first of all, my philosophy as a colorist is every time that customer comes in, you have to reconsult. So if you did a break the base on the visit a few months ago, it doesn't mean that's what you're going to do again today for two reasons. One, her hair and her mood may have changed. And secondly, to your point, which is it's tough to replicate that time after time. So if we look technically what's happening, break the base means that you're gently lifting the natural level, quarter, half level, in some cases, one level. It's an on and off application. You typically use a level seven, eight, nine, ten in a natural ash or an ash shade with 10, 15, 20 volume, really fast retouch. Look at it until you panic, then you take it down at the shampoo bowl. And that gives you a pop to the natural, right? It's the truth. That's what happens. That's right. So it, 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 the alkali and the developer mix together, they begin to lift. You know, hair color goes through lift and deposit simultaneous. So breaking the base is you're trying to catch it, catch that process before it heads into really the deposit phase. So the trick is you're lifting the natural, it's exposing warmth, and you're hoping that the ash base in your color will neutralize that warmth and create something beautiful and fabulous for you. And as I mentioned at the top of this call, you can achieve that once and have relative good success. Now, we know all hair color fades. So in three, four, five, six weeks later, that area that you broke the base or slightly lightened begins to oxidize, begins to fade. The hair does what it's meant to do after it's received hair color. So now you have the natural and just above that, you have where you broke the base and now you're beginning to have different lines of demarcation. So you have a choice. Do I continue to do it? Do I switch to permanent color? Do I skip it for a while and just highlight through it? It's, it's about analyzing the head of hair each time the customer sits in your chair. So uh, I totally agree. I think that that's one of the, the biggest um, mistakes that new colorists make. They do it once, they write it down and they try to duplicate it. And eventually they get that orange and they can't figure out why the orange is in that hair. And then they're sort of lost. So they wind up making it dark and then weaving it. And then it's just on and on and on. But 
you make it sound so simple to understand instead of confusing like so many people uh, uh, try to make it. Okay, so I want to ask you one thing that um, seems to be uh, a misconception, and, and I think you did a little research on it in the, personally about bleaches um, and what uh, percentage of volume of peroxide do you, I mean, uh, do you use in your bleach? Why? When do you do it? Do you remember that when you sent it out and asked all those questions? I, Tell me what you learned from that, from a general uh, consensus of hair colorist. Do they use 40 volume almost all the time or do they use 20? Well, we know in terms of volume of sales, that 20 volume is the most popular developer that sold. And I think that's largely attributed to the fact that it's used for most standard hair color applications. Second is 30 volume and then 40 and 10 volume are almost equal in terms of sales. I am not a 40 volume bleach lightener colorist. I'm just not. It is very volatile. It's very aggressive and it's aggressive based on the lightener that you're working with. And I don't love it over the medium or long term. I am a 10 and 20 volume user when it comes to lightener. And I think the key to this, Sheila, is also the way I isolate the hair when I highlight. I don't take big, deep weaves and create big valleys and, and mountaintops in my isolations. When you do that, you pick up um, a, a bigger density of hair. The lightener has a harder time saturating through those big chunks of hair. And I don't mean chunking like Cindy Crawford from the 90s. I mean, when you take big, deep weaves, you have a lot of abundance in those uh, pieces that you're isolating. I like to do, you know, it's my famous pasta method. I talk about angel hair, fettuccine, lasagna. I skim the surface of the hair and I pick up flat and wide, uh, flat and narrow and wide pieces. So less density in my isolation allows my lightener to saturate better and give me the lightness I look for. And I can do that with 10 and 20 volume. I had a client in the salon on Friday. She's naturally a dark blonde. I start with 10 volume in the back. And honestly, I'm shocked at how quick, her, how quick she lifts. And she comes back to me. She's a very popular influencer. And she comes back to me on the regular because I don't make her too blonde. I don't have to use a demi-glaze to fix the over-lightened that I've done. So I am a 10 and 20 volume user. I follow the rules. If it says one to one and a half, that's what I do. I'm not trying to replicate Nona's marinara sauce. I'm mixing chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to be able to repeat that look. So, you know, most people think that they can become the color chemist and they put a drop of this or fourth of ounce here, a half an ounce there, uh, an ounce there, and then a little splash of this. And I look at some of the color cards uh, when I go in to visit people and I'm just amazed at the hodgepodge of number of colors that they put into their formula thinking that it's going to work. So I know that you sent a funny little uh, cartoon about that, but I do want you to expand on why that's not good and your thoughts on that. 
Well, I, I would say that there are more efficient ways to achieve color. If you can do it with 5N, do it. And that's not wimping out. I think sometimes my colleagues and myself included at one point, if I wasn't mixing one, two, three different things, I wasn't feeling creative. Well, you know what? I'll put on fun glasses and cute jeans and boots if I want to, if I want to appear creative. What I want to do is, is nail the color work, make my client happy. So I think when you travel across the color wheel too many times, you end up with blah. You end up with neutral brown that might spike a little green or blue or might spike a little bit of golden or warm. I, I would be, I should maybe start an app that people send me their five different formulas in a mixture and I can explain it and then simplify it for people. You know, and, and we do that because we sometimes aren't as confident in our formulation skills. So you know what, I better put a cap of red in there along with a little one inch ribbon of gold. And, I, and I, I'm not that colorist. I'm not a 40 volume colorist and I'm not a, I mean, I'll use two and on rare occasions, a third formula. And that's in a mixture. And that's only because I've tried everything else and I need to try to get the results by adding just a little bit of something else. But I am a purist when it comes to color. If you can do it with a demi, do it. If you can do it in a single use, do it. Because I think, I think Sheila, that what manufacturers have done really well as of late if they, they've made hair color, we've made hair color more convenient for the user to minimize your need to mix two and three different shades together. Right. I agree. And so I know that there's also a big controversy of uh, liquid versus tube color. And I know even during the hair color exchange days, it was always that big controversy, you know, which do you get the best result from? But you know, you hardly see any liquid color anymore. So, wow. You know, boy, that's another can of worms. 30 some years later, I get it. And here's what I can share with you. Liquid hair color had long long time been associated with drugstore, retail, over-the-counter hair color. And so the professionals wanted to use a cream to create a separation. And then we moved into bottles are for babies. We should use a bowl and a brush. So we continue to evolve. And Sheila, like everything in the world right now, it's really about your preference, where you're comfortable, what works for you, you do you, you do self-care, et cetera, et cetera. If you like liquid hair color, do it. I happen to love doing bottle applications. I am fast, I am efficient, especially if you're gonna quote, break the base, a liquid hair color is a little more efficient for two reasons. The application, because you can get it on faster. And secondly, a liquid performs more efficiently on the hair than a tube cream hair color. That's just, um, that's just chemistry. You know, liquid hair color reacts faster versus a tube cream. So I think it's all about what makes you feel good. All of that stuff is old school. 
in my opinion. Bottles are for babies. Oh, come on. If you can bang it out with liquid color, cover the gray, make your client happy and make money at it, I say go for it. I totally agree. I get I get so tickled at some of them having conversations about, you know, the tools we use. I mean, I think, um, who was it? The famous makeup artist said, if you have to stick the client's face in a bag of uh Post toasties, put it in there if that's going to help because it's about the result, not about how you get there. Well, can you imagine, Sheila, if you were having your house painted and you interviewed the painter, you got an estimate, and he said, you know what? I only use a brush to paint a big flat wall. Rollers are for wimps. It's like, dude, you're the professional. You know what's in front of you, you know what you have to accomplish. The tools are up to the professionals. That's exactly right. Okay, one big question now. <clears throat> if you were going to create, this is a silly question, but I love it. I love people's responses on this. If you were going to have your own color line, uh, what would you name it? <laughs> I, I, love... I think I told you mine was BS, no BS color. No BS color. What does B stand for? Brown, beige, blue? What's it stand for? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are a true colorist. Yeah. <laughs> what is S? Ask me what the S stands for. Silver. It stands for silver. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> um, you know what? If I, if I were to develop my own personal, personal permanent hair color line, I think I would call it permanent reserve. It's good. Reserve because it's top shelf, you know, Glenlivet Captain's Reserve or J&B Scotch Whiskey Reserve or Reserve Red Wine, which is yeah. in, your, in your area. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. But you know definitely what? in the in the wine area for me, right? Well, I always with, said that I, I would, wanted to name um, hair colors out of after wines, I thought people would understand it a little bit more. Well, so, you know what, that's so one thing I would like for you to tell everybody is um, obviously, you know, uh, like I said at the beginning, you're one of the most um, brilliant colorists as well as, and I know this sounds like a, a paradox, but you're so, you're such a simple colorist to have such amazing results. And so, uh, I know everybody after they're listening to this would like to get in touch with you. Is there any way that they can um, contact you and talk to you and, and pick your, your wonderful, colorful brain? Um, if so, let me know now. And we will not only uh, put it on the podcast, but we'll also put it on as a follow-up so people can go to our website and know how to find you. That's fabulous. Thank you. You can always slip into my DMs, as they say. Uh, on Instagram is the best way, and I am the David Stanko, T-H-E, David Stanko. Um, and you know, I, I can see you laughing, um, because some dude from Croatia had my name, so I had to like try to, you know, do something else. But, and hey, David, I'm laughing because that is so appropriate, the David Stanko, <laughs> and that's the way I will address you from now on, <laughs> as this is the David Stanko, and I see you blushing, but it really is very uh, appropriate for you. <laughs> Sheila, you're the best. I value our friendship, and I value our random calls that we have, and 
and certainly your passion for the business over the years. You are one dedicated professional who I am very happy to know. So do you think we're gonna be able to get you back to the uh, Intercofure stage? Quite possibly. I would, I would love to dip my toe in that pool again and just sort of, I don't know, Sheila, I'm in a whole new place now. I feel like I've come full circle and now I'm moving into a different circle. So I just, you know, I don't know. I'd have to think about what would be fun and interesting and relevant to talk about, but I like connecting with an audience. I love it. I would be happy to entertain that. Yeah, nothing's been any better in my my career as sitting with you and people like you who we can just sit around it's sort of like um around at the bar you know when it really gets real and uh, do you know who susan hayes is have you ever heard of she she's an amazing amazing person but she said something one time to me and she said if we could just bring the bar to the ballroom that would be so amazing and so that's sort of my my term, my favorite term now. So maybe we can get a group of people together at the Intercourt Fury and just bring the bar to the ballroom and talk about hair color. Roll up our sleeves and sit around and talk about what's real and, and what's good for each one of us. I mean, that would be fun. Me count me in, my friend. All right. Well, I so thank you for uh, joining us and I look forward to seeing you. I will stay in touch with you. So maybe we can get you back on the Intercourt Fury stage. As I always say as my sign-off, happy coloring. Yes, thank you so much. Love you. Love you too. Thank you for joining us for the ICA Podcast 9 podcast. Be sure to tune in next week for more industry insight and information. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast too and share it with your friends in the industry. Our only goal is to bring people together and share information with those that need it. Intercoiffure America Canada is proud to be the voice for salon owners. For more information about us, visit intercoiffure.com. That's intercoiffure.com.